We're just 12 hours away from polls opening in the Batley and Spen by-election. If Labour lose, it would make Batley and Spen the first time in over a century that an opposition leader has lost two seats to the governing party in the same parliament. Now, this would, of course, <laughs> from that statistic alone, be an extraordinary feat. But what would the consequences be? to discuss the election campaign and its ramifications. I'm delighted to be joined by Owen Jones. How are you doing, Owen? Oh, raring to go. Hey, dear buddy. Woohoo! I'm so pleased we're not clashing with any football tonight because I feel like we might have, we might have lost some people, but you're here. Yeah. It's a day off the football and we have a great show lined up for you. Um, we've got lots and lots of Batley and Spen related stories tonight. Let's start with the basics, though, which is the candidates. Okay, let's start with the Labour candidate. She started the race as the favourite because Labour are defending the seat no longer, but it should be Labour's to lose. Their candidate is Kim Leadbeater, and in interviews and in ca campaign literature alike, her priority has been to emphasise that she is the local candidate in the race. Here she is speaking to Owen. Ultimately, there's lots of people who are going to turn up in these next few weeks who didn't even know where Batley and Spen was until a few weeks ago. You know, I've lived here all my life. You know, so those issues that people have got are my issues as well. So they need an MP who understands those issues. I'm very, very clear about that. People are going to turn up here with their own agendas and their own egos. It's not fair on the local people. Now, I think everyone would agree that other things being equal, it's better to have a local candidate. It's better to have people represented by people who live in the same place as them. However, in this case, it does seem possible that this could be standing in for a lack of any concrete positions. Here, Leadbeater is asked about pay for nurses, tuition fees, and a key issue in the constituency, Palestine. We have to be really strong on Palestine. The situation in Palestine is horrific. We have got innocent men, women, and children being killed. What would killed. you do in practice? My job is to put pressure on the Labour Party and the government and mm -hmm. the international community to do more. So what That's would you my want, job. What would you want them to do in Palestine? Well, we need to work towards a two-state solution. The right. first thing we do is get the peace talks uh, started again. You know, would you stop arms sales to Israel? I think I would need to get involved in those conversations and those discussions. Okay. Look, there will be people who are far better informed than I am on the Palestinian issue. My job is to listen to the people of Batley and Spen and to take their voice forward into those conversations. I think nurses need to be paid a fair wage. Twelve and a half Absolutely. Pay rise increase. I would have to look at the figures in a bit more detail, Owen. It's not as simple as me just again waving a magic wand no, and but picking a figure out a thing. Picking a position, surely. The Royal College of Nurses said that's what nurses should get. I think nurses deserve to be paid more. That's very, very clear about that. The th I went out for a, a drink with a friend of mine who's a nurse. She said, I'll get this round in, Kim. I've just been given a 30 pence a week pay rise. Uh -huh. Not good enough, is it? Let's be really clear about that. Okay. So again, my job is to speak to people about nurses being paid fairly, teachers being paid fairly, yeah. you know, addressing all the issues that have had a result of the pandemic. But again, we, we can't just wave a magic wand and make these things happen. No. My job is to get involved in those conversations and be allowed... But people want a clear voice. position, don't they, from their Member of Parliament? Absolutely, They want to know it. where they stand. Yeah, and, and, and once I'm elected, all those things will be will be uh, considered and I will come to my my very clear points on them but would the you get moment, rid of tuition fees would you vote to get rid of tuition fees for young people I'm not a massive fan of tuition fees absolutely when I did my degree at 25 mm. I didn't have to pay anything uh, mm. it was absolutely wonderful to get a degree uh, without having to pay a penny I think nine thousand pounds a year is excluding so many people from education I think it's I think it's really difficult I used to be a lecturer at Bradford College mm. you, you know it's a massive barrier to people to think that they're going to get into so much debt um, so yeah those are really important conversations to be had but, you know people are also sick of thinking that there is a magic money tree so there isn't so we've got to be really clear to people about that so you saw there a non-answer on selling arms to israel she'll have to think about it a statement that Leadbeater would work on her positions after being elected which is a slightly odd answer when you're standing for election and then finally the deployment of theresa may's infamous magic money tree analogy when talking about tuition fees now owen you've spent a while with kim Leadbeater. you spent a lot longer with her than we've just shown in those in those clips in many ways i mean she's got a, a backstory which is a powerful backstory i mean it was her sister who was murdered in this seat she is also the only candidate from the constituency but at the same time she doesn't seem to have much to say when it comes to policies is that the impression that you got so i'm gonna be diplomatic here to degree because i mean partly because uh Agrocentrists on Twitter have spun a conspiracy theory that having gone from portraying people like us on the left is irrelevant, now we're somehow going to swing an entire by-election by saying saying things which will be deemed unhelpful. The, the other reason I'm going to be diplomatic as well, no, I think this is an important point, not diplomatic, is that it's very important that whatever happens in Batley and Spen is, is placed 
firmly in the core of the Labour leadership. You know, I think Kim Ludbeat is a, a very good campaigner. She's very energetic. She knows the local community very well. So I think she'd be a very good constituency MP. Do I think she has a concrete political vision? No. Uh, but do I think the Labour leadership has a concrete political vision? No. I was talking to MPs today about this uh, who, who referred to another interview you may have seen that I did with Paul Williams, who stood to be the doomed Labour candidate in, in Hartlepool. And I asked him what Labour's vision was. And his response was 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 dire, catastrophic, went viral on social media. And, and he was roundly ridiculed. But then what was he supposed to say? I mean, if you were going to come up with a concrete vision for the, for the Labour Party in the current circumstances, you would literally have to make them up. So you're right. Did Kim Ledby to come up with satisfying answers to the questions that I put to her self-evidently not, but she would have had to have invented positions that the Labour leadership simply do not have. And clearly this is a very tightly managed and tightly controlled campaign. Again, that has to be emphasised because this isn't some freelance operation. It's not some candidate and campaign that isn't directly being controlled or dominated by the Labour leadership. It's very much part of that operation. Um, and therefore, she can't go off message and therefore she can't give satisfactory answers. So I think a very good campaigner, I think a very good would be a very good constituency MP, that uh, clearly is not able to offer anything uh, concrete, uh, which is distinct from Labour's utter vacuum, uh, which is its vision, its strategy. It doesn't have one and therefore its local candidates, unless they decide to go rogue, they don't have one either, no. Let's move on to the most high-profile candidate in the election in Batley and Spen, which is George Galloway. He's running a interesting campaign. I don't think anyone could deny that. It's pro-Palestine, pro-Brexit, anti-Keir Starmer, anti-woke, and also anti-establishment in general. Now, I should say, we're going to talk um, later on in the show about some of the darker sides of his campaign and about accusations of intimidation. First of all, though, I want to show you this interview he did with the BBC, which to me shows why Galloway has, I think, such a, a reputation as an effective campaigner. Some of your campaign is surely about getting rid of Keir Starmer as the leader of the Labour Party. Sure. You, you've spoken about that. Sure. That's and you've talked about yourself being a revolutionary in the past. That's a rev this kind of revolution, though, is a negative one. Surely. What are your positive goals other than trying to bring down the Labour leader? I ask again, is there any point in me being in this interview? This is a party political broadcast. The people here have been left behind, neglected and taken for granted. And they're going to show what they feel about that on Thursday. I think I'll be the beneficiary of that. But whatever happens, Labour will lose this election and they will lose it not because you say I'm a revolutionary, no, not because I arrived a in a, with a fanfare on a bus, not for any of the other negatives you've spun in just two or three minutes in this interview, but because Labour... on a bus and having a, a fanfare isn't a, hundred, a negative thing. A, a, a hundred yards from here is a listed building that used to be the police station. Labour closed it down and sold it to a property developer for the price of a chip shop. That's the kind of local issue that has got people uh, very angry indeed at Labour. And you're going to see, look, all of your questions. Let's talk about the Conservatives then, because they could have kept yeah. that um, police station no, they open. Couldn't. They've been in Labour power since 2010. If you split the Labour vote... There is no Labour to, vote. There okay. are only voters. Okay. If individual you, if, voters. If you drive, if you drive a, a wedge through no, the majority that Labour currently hold, surely you will be handing this election to the Conservatives. Is that what you Are want? You, is this Labour TV or is it the BBC? Is this Labour TV? Do you want, do you, look, you, are you look, happy to look, see the Conservatives look, gain the, power There is here? no such thing as a Labour vote. There are only voters, individual human beings who have to be persuaded to vote for you. Now, your concern for the fate of the Labour Party in this constituency is touching probably in breach of the BBC's charter. I'm asking One you about of the, the reasons why people are switching power. off are you happy the BBC to have the News Conservatives in droves. I'm fighting to win this election. If you vote for me, you'll get me. Now, that was clearly, I mean, from my perspective, a very effective, combative 
interview, it did seem to me as if the interviewer was actually mainly using Labour Party talking points. Are you worried that you're going to get let the, the the Conservatives through, which isn't a question you normally hear them asking so aggressively to the to the Liberal Democrats, for example. Also interesting, the the one topic he chose to really I suppose, focus on there, which was this idea, again, I can't confirm either way here, of Labour apparently selling off a police station. This is an area with a Labour council. Obviously, the interviewer quite reasonably was putting forward, but these cuts were you know, implemented by a Tory government. He's saying they share the blame. The most high-profile issue, and when it comes to George Galloway's campaign, has been Palestine. He's been attacking Labour for being too weak on the issue. But it's not just about that, is it? I mean, what would you say are the key messages that George Galloway is is going out into to Batley and Spen with and to try and win people over? Potholes. I'm not joking. Potholes is a really big issue locally. I spoke to one taxi driver. Why are you voting for George Galloway? Potholes. Why do you think you know members of parliament have no control over potholes? And George Galloway said he'd fill them in himself, which I... I'm, I'm, I'm sceptical about, I have to be honest with you. But again, it does emphasise, it's the same thing I saw in Hartlepool. And this is unfair on one level, but also self-inflicted on the other, which is Labour authorities are being blamed for cuts which have been imposed by a Tory government and suffering the consequences electorally. So budgets for potholes across the country have been slashed by the Tory government, but then local authorities, in this case, a Labour local authority end up with the blame. But the problem is Labour local authorities didn't have a strategy to deal with that. I mean, there was lots of grandstanding about, well, we we can't implement, uh, we can't resist the cuts because otherwise the government will introduce their own commissioners and override local democracy. It's quite a convincing argument. So they were saying you wouldn't be, we wouldn't be martyrs like in the past when in the 80s, for example, local councillors or the 20s, Poplar was a famous example, where local councillors refused to implement cuts and then personally face the consequences, being jailed, facing fines, that kind of thing. But they could have had a national campaign to link up Labour councils where they for a national campaign to resist those cuts, but they didn't do that. So they end up getting blamed. George Galloway's tapping into that locally. You see the potholes everywhere. It's really quite, those roads are dangerous. So that issue of local authority cuts has cut through. The Conservatives are responsible, but a Labour local authority gets the blame. Someone like George Galloway can tap into that. I also, it is worth pointing out that he is trying to face both ways. He is campaigning. You mentioned Palestine, Kashmir as well. Both issues very, very much resonating, but no question. You know, acolytes of the Labour leadership claim that foreign policy issues are fringe obsessions of the Labour membership and voters out there, especially in the so-called Red Wall, don't care. This is the so-called Red Wall. And obviously, local voters care very much about issues like Palestine and Kashmir. But also other issues. I mean, the fact that Keir Starmer withdrew from an Iftar over the fact, allegedly, the reason was was because one of the other speakers, uh, one of the attendees, supported boycotts against Israel. That cut through. That was spontaneously raised. Uh, but the other point I say about facing both ways, uh, in 2019, the heavy woolen district independents, the candidate Paul Halloran stood and got 6,500 votes. Like lots of those sorts of parties, they get an eclectic voter coalition. But Paul Halloran is someone who has, you know, made a, a formal alliance with Lawrence Fox and has clearly tapped into that sort of demographic. And George Galloway did an event, which is, I suppose, a debate with Lawrence Fox and the Paul Halloran crowd. He's very much going hard on a so-called anti-woke campaign where he bashes, including people like myself, who he sees as emblematic of wokery, uh, supporting the rights of minorities. He started going on about to me about Black Lives Matter and how people said it was a, uh, a Marxist organisation, uh, you know, using the sorts of talking points I would associate with Lawrence Fox as he went on about wokery and all the rest of it. You know, he said some extremely transphobic things, which uh, so transphobic you'd expect him to be offered a job in a British newspaper. But I mean, the, the point, you know, I don't think those are the issues that are cutting through with George Galloway. I don't think people are going to vote for George Galloway because of so-called uh, anti-wokery. Uh, but that's certainly something he has tried to tap into. But I think the main issues are Muslim voters who feel very disillusioned. They feel they felt they had a voice under Jamie Corbyn. There are th over 3 million Muslims, 86% of adult Muslims who voted, voted for the Labour Party in 2019. And now they feel completely disregarded, thrown to one side, 
um, not listened to. Um, they want to give the Labour Party a bloody nose. They see George Galloway, even though a lot of them don't like him. I was speaking to one guy. He was like, not a lefty. He used to be a Labour councillor, 2002 to 2014. Said Labour went wrong when they chose the wrong Miller band because of the unions. He's now campaigning for George Galloway. He thinks Jeremy Corbyn was treated terribly and Muslims have been abandoned by the Labour Party. So that anger is very raw amongst British Muslims. They feel, I think, they had a momentary sense of recognition as late as part a, a critical part of Labour's voter coalition and have been discarded. And now they think we're going to show that we're strong, we're powerful, we're going to give the Labour Party a bloody nose, we're going to punish them. But local issues, as I said, local authority cuts, Tories are responsible, Labour gets the blame, Galloway's exploited that, no question. Finally, we're going to talk about the candidate whose name you probably don't know, even though he is the favourite to win the seat. It's the Tories candidate. He's called Ryan Stevenson. Um, now, I think, I suppose for obvious reasons, he hasn't really sought media exposure because he's letting Labour and George Galloway take chunks out of each other. But he did do a brief interview with The Telegraph. Let's take a look. Keir Starmer's candidate and George Galloway are fighting like cats in a sack at the minute around internal issues within the Labour Party. Um, and how good Sir Keir Starmer is or isn't. And I'm squarely focused on talking to voters about issues that matter to them. I'm not getting distracted by politics. So it's about telling people what a proactive local MP can do for them. You know, we've just had a, we're having this by-election because the previous Labour MP resigned. And I think people saw that that, that, that MP, that Labour MP, spent more time looking for a new job than getting on with the job. And they looked to neighbouring constituencies of Dewsbury and Morley and see how a proactive MP can get stuff done for their area by working with government and banging the drum. So that's a very frustrating message that we've heard over and over again from Tory candidates standing in traditionally Labour seats in the north of England. They're saying, look, even though we're from the Conservative Party, which implemented all of this austerity, ultimately the fault is that you've got these careerist Labour MPs who don't care about the local area. I'm going to be uh, a vocal voice for the area and I'm going to bring in investment. There's a criticism that this is just pork barrel politics. It's basically the Tories saying, you elect a Tory MP, we'll give you some money. You elect a Labour MP, we won't. But it seems to have been, in many constituencies so far, rather effective. Owen, I understand Brian Stevenson didn't grant you an interview. Did you still manage to get an impression of his campaign when you were in the constituency, what he's about, what he's telling people? No, they're virtually non-existent on the ground. I mean, they, they've almost, uh, the Tory campaign, in this, it's the same in Hartlepool, where they really did refuse interviews full stop. They refuse interviews as well with Newsnight, uh, this Tory campaign. You can barely, you know, you go around Batley, there are loads of Labour posters, loads of George Galloway posters, very few, very, very little evidence of a Tory campaign on the ground, and yet they are odds on to win. And uh, they're running a largely a telephone campaign, and that's because they think they have a very good chance of winning it because the Labour vote will either not turn out. And that is something else It's worth pointing out. Some of the mosques locally are telling people not to vote for George Galloway. They're telling Labour Muslim voters not to vote. Um, but also, I mean, George Galloway, I say just quickly on that, uh, having spoke to their campaign, I mean, I think this is them being bullish, but sources close to their campaign are claiming a 60% vote collapse of the Labour Party vote. So on that basis, the Tories think, they don't need to bother much campaigning because the seat's going to be delivered to them um, by Labour voters not voting or voting for George Galloway. We've got a couple of interesting questions. So Pete Williams with a fiver says, Batley and Spen isn't a place. Can we hear something about the individual towns hearing loads about Batley? What about Cleckheaton, which is, or, or the, it's a question mark actually, solidly Tory. I mean, I haven't been to the constituency. I know you have, Owen. Did you go outside of Batley as well, or, or did you mainly stay in, in, in Batley? I, I think it's mainly being discussed as, as Batley being the key battleground because that's where most of the votes are are in play and also where most people are switching. What, what, what's your take on that? that? That's exactly right. So the reason we stayed in Batley, the recommendation of pretty much everybody, is because Batley is the key battleground. That's where people think this election will be won or lost. Um, and that's where George Galloway's campaign is focusing their energy and it's where Labour are focusing most of their defensive energy. So it will be in Batley where, you're right, I mean, there's a collection of villages and so on across the constituency, but Batley is 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 where this election will be decided. Next story relating to Batley and Spen. 
The competitive nature of the Batley and Spend by-election is a good thing. It's positive that Labour are having to compete for votes of Muslim voters rather than taking them for granted. And it's positive that there are demands on Starmer's party to take some positions instead of just going into a by-election, saying the Tories are bad and hoping for the best. However, there has also developed a darker side to the campaign in Batley and Spen. And sadly, in the constituency where Joe Cox was murdered, this has included political violence. The Guardian spoke to Dr. Abdul Raymond Rajpura, a GP who was canvassing with former MP Tracy Braybrin when another volunteer was attacked. So attacked while canvassing. The incident took place this Sunday. The Guardian reports Rajpura described being asked to look at a campaigner who had been knocked to the ground and kicked while on the floor. He was shaking and bleeding from the right side of his head, he said. Police were called. The former GP helped him find his glasses, which had been knocked to the floor, and headed back up the road with a young woman by his side. Then he says, an Asian man in a mask threw eggs, which hit his leg and smashed, dirtying his clothes. I thought, Oh, my Lord, this could be a stone. Rajpura said he wished he could catch the assailant, but was unable to because of my age. So uh, an older gentleman, um, this GP who is giving those comments. Um, that's clearly, I think, you know, the most worrying um, thing we've heard from the constituency. There have also been fake leaflets distributed um, when it comes to dirty tricks going on. This is a fake Labour leaflet showing Starmer taking the knee and pledging that the party will be fighting white privilege in this election. So it's, it's a fake Labour leaflet. And it reads, the Labour Party are committed to representing the BAME community and supporting Black Lives Matter. The Labour Party believes that it is high time that white people acknowledged their privilege and gave something back to people of colour. Keir Starmer was proud to take the knee for Black Lives Matter. Will you join them? The back of the leaflet says, Labour believes that the biggest threat to our precious multicultural society is whiteness. And as a community, we must tackle that threat head on. Um, now, this is clearly trying to stoke up resentment. And of course, Labour would not put out a, a leaflet saying such ridiculous things to say during a campaign. Um, as far as I know, well, I do know, no one has claimed responsibility for the leaflets. Also important to note that no one has been arrested um, for the attacks, at least um, that's according to the, the latest reportage um, I've been looking at. That, of course, all means that we don't know which campaign, if any, is behind these the leaflet and, and, and the attacks. However, um, when discussing the general divisiveness of the campaign, Labour activists have been mentioning George Galloway. Now, again, it's worth repeating, with these two cases I've just described, I have no, absolutely no idea whatsoever who's, who's responsible. I don't have evidence to connect them to George Galloway or to anyone else. I do think there probably is something um, to the claim that Galloway is on one level fighting quite a dirty campaign. And to make that point, to explore that point, I want to return to an incident we talked about last Friday. This is a clip of the moment that Labour candidate Kim Leadbeater, who is gay, was subjected to homophobic harassment last Friday. Yeah. This is where I live. This is my community. Don't come here and shout at me in the street. The Muslim community of Batley and Spend deserve better deserve than this. Better. They deserve better than no, this. We're, we're the community. I'm asking you, are you going away. to support Don't walk away. Muslim Don't walk parents? Away. Do not walk away because you don't want their children to learn about LGBT indoctrination. Are you supporting us, Kim? Kim, I'm here. Answer the question. Why are you running? Kim, I'm here to talk to you. Kim is walking are you going away. to support Muslim parents who don't want their children to learn about it? I've been here 60 years of my life. So speak to this gentleman. We are going to chase Labour at every step. Now, as we said on Friday's show, the man harassing Kim Leadbeater is Shaquille Afzar. He's an anti-LGBT activist from Birmingham, and he was not part of George Galloway's entourage. It's worth repeating that because there were some people online suggesting that was the case. However, it does seem to be the case that he was at least tacitly supporting George Galloway. This is some more footage from that same day. You heard, if you've got a credible candidate you feel you can vote for, vote for him. And he was very clearly pointing at George 
Galloway. Now, I don't really like the politics of blaming politicians for what their supporters do without any further evidence. You know, you say, oh, Jeremy Corbyn was terrible because Nick Griffin once said he was supporting Jeremy Corbyn or whatever. You know, this was always just troublemaking. It didn't mean that there was a genuine connection between the two people. However, in this instance, I don't think it is really reasonable um, for George Galloway or his supporters to claim it's a complete coincidence that homophobes are supporting his campaign. This is part of one of George Galloway's recent stump speeches in Batley and Spen. I am very concerned about what's taught in the schools. Some of you won't like this. I'm the father of five school-age children. And I don't want my young children at primary school, aged seven and nine, taught about sex. I don't want them taught how to masturbate. I don't want them taught about anal sex. I don't want them taught that there's 99 genders. I don't want them taught that men can become women by the mere act of declaring themselves to be and end up in an Olympic team beating the actual girls and the actual women. I don't want them taught that parents chest feed when in fact it's women who breastfeed. Glory to women. Women pulled up half the sky. This kind of woke, liberal identity politics is anathema to me. So I want parents' views on what their children are taught and when they are taught it to be taken properly into account. And in this area, that is not happening. That was a lot of anti-LGBT dog whistles to include in a one and a half minute clip. So I think it's pretty clear that he is, for political reasons, trying to whip up fear about LGBT inclusive education. And I mean, in general, the politics of LGBT issues more generally. Owen, again, from your experience being in the constituency, from talking to George Galloway and from talking to, I suppose, supporters of the various campaigns, I mean, how how dirty do you think George Galloway's campaign has been here? And I mean, do you think it's fair, I suppose, the not necessarily direct, but potentially indirect connection I've drawn between that harassment of Kim Leadbeater on grounds about LGBT education and then George Galloway talking about those issues himself? He's an arch social reactionary who voted for the Conservative Party earlier this year. He's someone who in 2014 denounced correctly Nigel Farage for whipping up um, um, prejudice against Johnny Foreigner and then campaigned alongside him. Uh, he said, you know, he'd campaigned for Remain like anyone with any brain cells and then obviously was an arch Brexiteer, said some pretty grim things about uh, Donald Trump, which weren't exactly making clear his staunch opposition to the former president. And on these social issues, you can hear he sounds like Lawrence Fox. I mean, what I would say, and I do think this is important, is, I mean, look, I've I've, I've personally interviewed, if I get his name right, yeah, interviewed uh, Shaquille Afsar myself. And I do think there needs to be some demarcation there because this is a landlord property developer who's headed these anti-LGBTQ protests, which I made a documentary about, Two years ago in, in Birmingham, he will opportunistically jump on, on 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 anything, essentially. But and equally, Labour has their own questions to answer. Because if you take, for example, back in 2019, Roger Godsiff, the Labour MP who backed, he was a Birmingham MP, he backed the anti-LGBT protests. The NEC rightly withdrew support from him. Um, the chief whip, Nick Brown at the time, backed the move. But some, including Tom Watson, uh, spoke against having the whip withdrawn from him. And there were sections of the Labour right who clearly don't have an exa- who now run the party, don't exactly have an exemplary record. In fact, I should mention Shabana Mahmood, who is the national campaign coordinator 
of the Labour Party, who back in 2019, condemned at the time, spoke about how the religious background of peoples and the age appropriateness of conversations should be taken into account when teaching RSE in relation to LGBTU issues. Now, what George Galloway said, there's a pack of lies, incidentally. Education, uh, inclusive education, as been taught in these schools, doesn't teach young children about sex, nothing about sex whatsoever, let alone being taught how to masturbate. These are grotesque lies. Uh, what you do is you have these books, for example, which show people with uh, some children have mixed race parents, some have two mothers. I mean, that, that's literally the education that they're taught. And they're taught that's okay. That's fine. Families come in different shapes and sizes. These families exist. We should respect difference. That's all they're taught. That's correct. Obviously, people should support that. Um, in terms of though, and I, I suppose the caveat I would add, I mean, that's why, as I said, George Galloway is an arch reactionary and no progressive should ever support him, um, is... Uh, there will be a narrative that Muslim disillusionment is not being driven by legitimate concerns, namely issues like Palestine and Kashmir, namely their sense of Islamophobia not being dealt with within the Labour Party, their sense of being marginalised by the Labour leadership and the Labour Party not taking them for granted, but rather by homophobia and anti-Semitism. And that's simply just not true because anyone who's been to Batley and Spen will testify that when they speak to local Muslim voters that actually those issues are not being raised at all spontaneously ever. Issues like those I've just mentioned are. In fact, some have told me that the only incidents they've heard of people, voters making homophobic comments about Kim Ledby to come from old white voters. Now, George Galloway actually in that speech may well be aiming at those kind of, you know, Lawrence Fox types, I suppose, in Batley and Spen. But it would be a grave error to understand any problems, significant problems the Labour Party suffered um, being as a result of being driven in any significant way by Muslim voters being homophobic and or anti-Semitic. That doesn't mean, as I've just done and you've done, George Galloway should not be explicitly condemned and explicitly opposed by people on the left. He's not our friend. He should be treated as an enemy. He's in league with profound reactionaries and we shouldn't throw minorities under a bus, even if you think the Labour leadership deserves a punch in the nose. But nonetheless, that's the nuance, I suppose, that, yes, this Birmingham anti-LGBT protester opportunistically jumps on any bandwagon to further his agenda. Yes, uh, there is react deeply reactionary elements of, of this charlatan, this demagogue, George Galloway. Um, but that's not the primary reason that Labour are suffering in any sense in Batley and Spen. Muslim voters voted for Labour for years when Labour was introducing pro-LGBTQ policies. So that's clearly not the overriding, uh, overriding concern whatsoever. It's the issues I've just raised. Mm. And they also voted for Labour when they had a Jewish leader. Well, I was just saying, I mean, Ed Miliband actually is the only Labour leader to call himself a Zionist. And Muslim voters still overwhelmingly voted for him. Mm, that is interesting. And I think it, it is super important because we're going to hear a load, of, a load of bullshit over the next couple of days, basically, if Labour loses, to make that distinction between voters and the candidate. Because George Galloway is an objectionable candidate in many, many ways, but many of the people voting for him are voting for him for very good reasons, actually, which is that on some issues, he is talking in a way, which means that it seems like he gives a shit about Muslim voters on issues such as Palestine and Kashmir. And if Keir Starmer had been strong on those issues, then, yeah, maybe George Galloway would have peeled a few homophobic voters off from any community, from all communities in the area. But he definitely wouldn't be mounting an effective challenge that he is right now if Keir Starmer hadn't seemed so weak, so wet when it came to these foreign policy issues. So it will be the case that ultimately, if Labour loses, they only have themselves to blame. And anyone who, I think Owen's actually put this very well um, in a recent video on his YouTube channel, the people who are saying, oh, if Labour lose, it's because of reactionary voters, we don't want them anyway. One, that's electorally stupid, but two, it is cynical, opportunistic, and is intended solely to get Keir Starmer off the hook, even if the byproduct is to increase Islamophobia in Britain, which I think is a real danger if some of these Starmerites can't, I suppose, get some perspective here. Um, in terms of dirty tricks, we should also say Galloway has said that Kirkley's council, which is controlled by Labour, have taken down 2,000 of his posters from lampposts. I mean, it seems like there is a complex story on the ground, but the fact that George Galloway is, is, is I suppose, promoting homophobic dog whistles, uncontroversial, it's difficult to argue with that. Next story.
Labour's problems in Batley and Spen have led to some soul-searching on the part of Starmer's allies in the Labour Party. Yet, if a recent report by Paul War in the Huffington Post is anything to go by, they already seem out of ideas. Now, this article has loads of quotes from sources close to Keir Starmer about what should be inferred from any loss in Batley and Spen and what changes he should make in that event. This is where they're all putting forward their ideas for the future of the Labour Party after Batley and Spen. Now, it's not positive reading. In one section, Starmer's woodenness is discussed. So Paul Wall writes, One Tory minister says the Batley by-election is proving that Starmer is the Tories' biggest asset. His problem is he fails the pub test, the minister says. With Tony Blair and Boris, whether you're working class or whether you are posh, you could imagine them having a conversation with you and that they enjoy the job. Starmer's a bit like Gordon Brown or Theresa. They looked haggard, tired, grumpy and uncomfortable. Worst of all, he looks a bit aloof. Now, in response to this from a Tory minister, a senior Starmer ally hit back. Well, the pubs aren't bloody fully open, so it's a bit hard for him to pass or fail a pub test. That's exactly why we think that once he's out and about, people will see the real Keir and like what they see. The Piers Morgan life stories where Starmer talked about his family life and upbringing was just the start. (laughs) This answer is so, so pathetic, right? The whole point of the pub test which is, I mean, maybe it's overstated in its importance, but it's this idea that you see a politician, you think they're a human I can relate to, thereby I think they might make decisions which are partly in my my interest because they seem like me. That isn't to say, to prove that you're a decent guy in a pub, you have to literally go to the pub with all of the voters. That's not going to be a successful strategy because however many pubs you visit between now and 2024, it's not going to be enough people you sit with um, to win an election. I mean, probably they'd say in their defense, well, maybe it would be, you know, it'd be people watching him in the pub talking to other people. Again, that's not how this works. These impressions are not created by literally him sitting in a pub drinking a pint. The whole point is that you have to in all of your interactions, seem somewhat personable, which is something that Keir Starmer is not capable of doing because he's so wooden and because he seems to have such little self-confidence when it comes to what he's for and what he believes, which, I mean, is quite easy to see through. Now, when it comes to what changes would be made other than pubs opening, a lot of focus in this piece and from the sources that Paul Wall talks to um, refer to the prospect of changing the rules to elect a new leader if and when um, Starmer resigns. Now, Paul Wall writes, some centrists believe that Starmer's best hope of proving his party has changed would be to tear up its member-led leadership rules and return to an electoral college that restored MPs alongside unions and members. It's too late to re- to mobilise such a radical reform for this autumn, and it may need Unite the Union to elect centrist Gerard Coyne to have a chance, but there is chatter of a special conference next spring to carry it out. So they're saying the best hope of proving the party has changed, which is the only analysis they can have. The reason Keir Starmer's losing is because people didn't like the last guy, even though less of them are voting for Keir Starmer than they did the last guy. Anyway, to prove that they have changed, what they should do is change the leadership rules. That's what will inspire people across the country. Interestingly, In the same article, he suggests there are apparent problems with that plan, other than the obvious ones that no one is going to be particularly impressed because you change some internal leadership rules because no one cares about this stuff. The practical problems with it are interesting. A senior Starmer aide told Paul War, it's a terrible dilemma. One of the big, most essential ways that Keir has to define himself is by changing the leadership rules to ensure that this great party never goes back to being run by cranks. But the problem he's got is as soon as he does that, he could face a challenge from the right or competent centre. It's a total catch-22. Everyone recognises that if you remove the threat from the left, it gives you the chance to govern. At the same time, it makes you massively vulnerable because suddenly people can challenge you without worrying about Richard Bergen ending up in charge. So he's saying there, look, obviously, obviously what the electorate wants to happen is for Keir Starmer to change the leadership rules. But if he does that, there'd actually be a risk that he could then lose a leadership contest with the right because the right are going to be able to mop up um, support from MPs and potentially from the trade unions, which many of them are now run by centrists. Despite this apparent conundrum that he needs a leadership election to prove he's changed, but that could also um, lead to defeat from the right. 
Many sources are still convinced that Starmer's top priority should be a showdown with the left. One MP told Paul War he needs some drama, a big moment to show what he stands for. He can show leadership by saying there are some people in my party who believe things the country will never accept, and I'm going to take them on. The country will understand that. Um, Owen, I want to bring you in on this. You're obviously in contact with more Labour MPs than I am as well. So it would be, um, I'll be interested to know if you think this is seriously all Labour MPs or the Labour right have up their sleeve saying the way that we can win the next by-election is by proving we can attack the left more than we already have, potentially while Starmer drinks more pints in pubs with cameras around. The critique of the left that they always had was that the left only cared about factional control and domination of the Labour Party, and they didn't have a vision for the country. And whatever critique people want to make about Keir Starmer's predecessor, a lack of vision for the country and a lack of policies in order to achieve it is not a valid or legitimate critique. Now, their claims, and it's pure projection, of all they, all this, all they care about is factional control and they don't care about power in the country, no faction in the history of the Labour Party does that apply to more than those who have surrounded Keir Starmer. Now, I think the way of understanding what's happened is Keir Starmer is not someone who has a clear political vision. He doesn't, he's, he speaks to people from left to right in the parliamentary Labour Party. They all agree the guy's got no politics. He's not been in the Labour Party because he was a civil servant. He doesn't understand internal Labour politics. And through naivety, or whatever you want to call it, uh, he allowed himself to be surrounded by ultra-factional beasts who are walking ice picks, who are the one thing that makes their heart beat a little bit faster, isn't taking on the Tories, it's crushing the so-called trots, who has the leaked le le Labour report underlined, they think is anyone to the left of Gordon Brown. In fact, some of them probably think Gordon Brown's a trot. So what they are planning, no question, they don't have any vision for the country, except some of them think Tory economic policy is too left-wing. Uh, they opposed increasing corporation tax, and they think, they think Tory spending is frivolous or whatever, a lot of these people. And they don't have a clear vision for the country, but they do have a vision for the Labour Party, and that is to put the left in a box. And that doesn't just mean the left. They see the soft left as complicit, as useful idiots of the so-called hard left, uh, the legitimizers of magical political thinking as they see it. What they tried to do after Hartpool, they tried to uh, purge not just people who remain from the left, Andy McDonald, for example, uh, Shadow Employment Se uh, Cabinet Secretary, Kat Smith, maybe Marsha de Cordova, they're the left stand remaining members of the Shadow Cabinet, but also John Ashworth, Lisa Nandy, barely, I don't know, it's even possible to call us off left anymore. People like that, they were going to get rid of in in uh, favour of, of ra raging right-wingers, Labour right-wingers. But also what they're planning is uh, to change the leadership rules, to bring back the Electoral College um, and to increase the threshold of nominations that any leadership candidate needs in order to become a candidate. And they will try and change the rules on selections to ensure... They can stitch up selections to make sure not even soft left, let alone lefties, ever become parliamentary candidates ever again. They are hoping that Gerard Coyne, of course, wins the race to become Unite General Secretary, which will make their plans much, much easier. That's all they've got. So I think there's a slightly existential problem here because we've got the worst of all worlds. Labour's heading for dozens of its seats being lost. Uh, if we look at the Hartlepool by-election alone, uh, by elections, of course, Labour supposed to do oppositions are supposed to do better than general elections. That means name your MP: Angela Rayner seat gone, uh, Ed Miliband gone, Yvette Cooper gone, uh, Ian Lavery gone, John Trickett. You could go. I mean, it literally is dozens of MPs. So we're heading for the Labour Party losing dozens of MPs, going completely right wing overtly on economic policy, and probably just going on about antisocial behaviour. Um, and stitching up party democracy and stitching up the leadership rules so no one on the left stands again. That's the lot. That's what they've got planned. So I think this is a big do-or-die moment approaching, and I think this is why an appeal to the soft left is important here, because it's not just the left they want to put in a box, but they, what they, they, they're out for the soft left, who, as I've said, 
they think are useful idiots and the legitimizers of magical political thinking. Uh, and they that's that's their plan. They think Keir Starmer's a loser, the right of the Labour Party, and many of the people around him. They will get rid of him um, as soon as they think it's politically possible to do so when they've got rid of the leadership. They've changed the leadership rules to make sure one of their own, Jess Phillips, where streeting, for example, uh, become become leader of the Labour Party instead. Peter Mandelson, Sienna Rogers from Labour List, asked if he was uh, the role he had. And they said he has no formal role. Well, we knew that. He doesn't have a formal job title. Very good. But he's, his role is a fact. Um, I know it's a fact. He was ringing people um, after the Hartlepool by-election after the week on that weekend, trying to recruit them as special advisors for right-wing shadow cabinet ministers who were never appointed because the Angela Rayner thing blew up in their face. They couldn't do what they planned to do. Um, I know uh, that shadow cabinet ministers complained about the terrible lines they were fed after the Hartlepool by-election, and they were told Peter Mandelson um, had uh, had written them. And I also know that, of course, the new replacement to um, for Ben Nunn, who is there, the, the director of comms, the, the temporary guy, is a long-standing Mandelson aide. So we can see what's happened. Peter Mandelson has become dominant within the Labour Party. He's filled that vacuum. And whether it's complicity, naivety, it doesn't really matter anymore. Na uh, uh, um, Keir Starmer, whose leadership they regard as dead, they're keeping him afloat until they can stitch up the rules. The Labour Party's heading under these people to a, a burning calamity that will make the 2019 election look like an electoral dystopia. I mean, it is a Armageddon, electorally speaking, with the left crushed. So time's running out. The stakes are high. Um, that's also a great segue to our final section. A YouGov poll commissioned by Sky News has found that 69% of Labour members believe Andy Burnham would be a better Labour leader than Keir Starmer. Now, Andy Burnham has impressed people over the past year with his willingness to take on the government and speak in an emotionally engaging way, two qualities distinctly lacking when it comes to Keir Starmer. The only consolation for Starmer with these polls is that as mayor and not an MP, Burnham is not eligible to stand against him. So there is this unfortunate position where all of these members can see this candidate who they would like to be leader. He's the one person or one of the few people um, who cannot take on that role because he's not in Westminster. The rest of the poll also had some interesting results. So what the YouGov polling showed was that 65% of Labour members believe Labour are on course to lose the next general election. That's compared to only 21% who believe Labour will win it. However, despite that, despite the fact that people aren't seeing the direction of the party as, as leading Labour into government, the majority are still willing to give Starmer a chance. So even if the party lose the Batley and Spent by-election, YouGov suggests that 41% of people want Keir Starmer to stand down and 48% say he should stay. That's obviously very close, but there is the plurality in favour of him staying on, even if Labour lose in Batley and Spent. We've talked about how historic it would be for Labour to lose that election. No opposition leader in over a century has lost two by-elections to the governing party. Still, Members, according to YouGov, are willing to give him a chance. Now, also, what will probably be reassuring to Keir Starmer from this polling is that the opposition to him seems pretty divided. Now, as we've discussed on this show, the most, I suppose, open opposition to Keir Starmer at this point in time comes from the left in the party. That's because of all the promises he broke in his 10 pledges. Yet the polling shows that while the left might be most opposed to Starmer, it's not clear they would be in a position to take advantage if there were any future leadership contest. So Sky report that in the event of a sudden leadership contest drawn from existing MPs, Home Affairs Select Committee Chair Yvette Cooper would get the highest level of support of members with 35% of Labour members saying she would get their first preference. Shadow Foreign Secretary Lisa Nandy is second on 13%, Deputy Leader Angela Rayner on 12%, former leadership contender Rebecca Long-Bailey on 11% and left-wing stalwart Richard Bergen on 6%. Now, that's not the most reassuring statistic to look at if you are on the left of the Labour Party. If you're thinking at this point, look, this is just a YouGov poll. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's completely meaningless. I mean, I can't I can't guarantee um, that's not the case. They, they might have messed up here. But it is worth pointing out that in the past, they have tended to be fairly 
accurate. This is a tweet from Ben Walker from the New Statesman, and he points out that in past um, leadership contests, YouGov have been fairly successful at predicting what Labour members are thinking. So in 2020, YouGov polling had Starmer on 53% and Long Bailey on 31%. The actual result was Starmer on 56% and Long Bailey on 28%. In 2016, YouGov had Corbyn on 62% and Owen Smith on 38%. The actual result was exactly that, 62% for Corbyn and 38% for Smith. Then we can go back to 2015. Then YouGov had Corbyn on 53%, Burnham on 21% and Cooper on 18%. And the result was Corbyn on 60%, Burnham on 19% and Cooper on 17%. So it seems like um, their pool of Labour members is fairly representative. Obviously, these, this, this polling was done towards the end of a leadership campaign. There isn't even a leadership campaign now. So, so this is more hypothetical, but still somewhat worrying if you're on the Labour left. And my question, given um, this polling, Owen, is let's put aside whether or not a leadership challenge will happen and how it would happen, because we've got we've got that coming up next. But first, given these numbers, should the left even want one? Should the left want a leadership challenge when it's not particularly clear that we'd win it? I've got, I suppose, a slightly different interpretation of those figures, because I think they're worse from the leadership than they actually look. Because, look, we don't know if Labour are going to lose Batley and Spen. I think it's important to make that clear. Labour might not lose in Batley and Spen. But there's a difference when something is hypothetical in someone's head and when it actually happens. So Labour members saying, you know, the fact that basically is even in terms of those who think Labour, Keir Starmer should resign if uh, lose, that's before the shock of a potential loss. That's before the shock of whatever the scale is of that potential loss. And it's also before anyone's made any consistent uh, argument for Keir Starmer to resign. That hasn't really happened. The only person who's actually done that is Andrew Adonis, who is, I would say, a very eccentric Blairite figure. I didn't call for Keir Starmer. I do think he should resign myself after Batley and Spen. If if Labour lose, if Labour don't, don't lose, it's different. If Labour lose, I think he should resign. But I haven't made that argument. And most be- that, that argument hasn't been publicly had in the pages of newspapers and all the rest of it. So I think the dynamic changes if Labour loses and depending on the scale and depending on the argument being made. Also, to be honest, Labourism instills a sense of loyalty amongst much of the membership in whoever the leader is. So even if they don't think they're doing well before a very important election, they might not feel that willing to tell even a pollster privately that they think the leader should should resign in those circumstances. To be honest, I think this shows a membership which is very dissatisfied with the leadership. I think in terms of Andy Burnham, a lot of people, you know, whatever his politics, there's a lot of people on the left who do obviously want Andy Burnham to be leader. I think Andy Burnham would have to be very clear about what his vision is before the left uh, would, would, would actually indulge that myself as much as I like the guy on a personal level. But actually, I think it's different when candidates set out their stalls. Take Yvette Cooper on 35%. A lot of people might look at that and think, what's the point? But actually 35%, that's the right of the membership kind of cohering around one candidate, really. And that's before she sets out a stall. She'd just be Yvette, she'd be Keir Starmer all over again. She'd have the exact same drawbacks, by the way. Technocratic, no vision for the country. And as soon as she sets out her pitch, as she did in 2015, where she bombed, I think she would do very badly again. And I think if you have a contest, which is about vision, because I think the argument would be this has been an experiment in a leadership having no vision whatsoever. And actually, Labour needs to believe in something again. And I think the candidate who makes the argument the most convincingly would be in pole position to win. So actually, I don't personally, I look at that and think those are worse for Keir Starmer, those figures than, I, I mean, I agree, the left hasn't made any case again for any candidate. And that would have to happen again in the aftermath if a defeat happens. So again, no, there's not exactly been some big, high visible candidate making a clear case as an alternative to Keir Starmer. So I think everything would change. I mean, after the EU referendum result, uh, the YouGov polling of the Labour membership, the first poll was pretty bad for Jeremy Corbyn. But that changed in the course of, of the leadership uh, contest because he could put forward his pitch, Owen Smith put his terrible pitch and disintegrated as the campaign went along. And I think Keir Starmer, I mean, I, I would be surprised if he stood in such a leadership contest myself. 
because I think he would he would be absolutely destroyed in that leadership contest. Because he, what what would his pitch be? I mean, this is you know he couldn't say honesty because no one thinks he stuck by his pledges. Uh, electability, that's dead. Uh, charismatic, I'm sorry. Um, principled, you know, this is there's no principles attached to this leadership. They synthesized every possible bad element of any leadership. There's not really a case to be made. So I think whoever stands against him would have a very good, or whichever candidates would have a very good chance. And I don't think he would put himself forward if a leadership contest actually happened personally. The challenge for the left is if it's a if he doesn't resign, and I think the argument should be if Labour lose, there should be a very loud argument for him to resign. Um, if he doesn't, then we need 40 MPs to nominate a candidate. The left would struggle with that, no question. And also the left would not necessarily agree who the candidate should be. Uh, Angela Rayner would have a good chance there. I know lots of people have different opinions about Angela Rayner, so I'm not going to go into that. But um, he who wields the, I mean, or she who wields the knife never wears the crown, the old adage of politics. So that, that if, if that was going to happen, there'd have to be a stalking horse put forward. If Keir Starmer resigns, then you need 20 MPs and the left would then have a very good chance of putting its candidate forward. Um, a lot of people would say John McDonnell would be the obvious candidate in that particular circumstance. And I think he would be a very good, uh, have a very good chance of winning a leadership contest, to be honest with you. Let's quickly look at the speculation in the press over who may be considering a challenge. As Owen says, to, to launch a challenge against an incumbent leader, one needs 20% of the Parliamentary Labour Party to nominate you. That, that at the moment would be 40 MPs. Were he to resign, you'd only need 10% of the PLP or 20 MPs. Now, the Times have suggested that Dawn Butler, Lisa Nandy, Angela Rayner and Yvette Cooper could all be considering um, a challenge against Keir Starmer, or at least throwing their hat in were a contest to begin. Unsurprisingly, I suppose, Keir Starmer, for his part, has indicated he will defy any calls to quit if the party loses the by-election. Now, that for me, I don't know how seriously we should take that because no leader is ever going to say, yeah, if I lose, I'm going to resign, even if in the back of Keir Starmer's mind, which I actually think is very unlikely. I don't think he will resign because I don't think the right will, will let him. But even if he was planning on it, he wouldn't tell the mirror he was going to do it. Having spoke to lots of Labour MPs, including those who backed Keir Starmer, there's actually a broad consensus that his leadership is doomed. A lot believe very strongly that he needs to go. But there's division about the mechanics of actually getting there, about who the candidate should be. Um, and a lot of people think it would, you know, look, an operation will come into play to defend Keir Starmer and shore him up, which particularly come from the right. So time would potentially be of the essence. So it's difficult to know because it really does depend on the left and the soft left putting their differences aside because some of those differences have opened working together. I think at the, the beginning, the strategy should be voices, particularly MPs, who backed Keir Starmer in the leadership contest, saying, and this is what they say to me, that some of them will privately, including shadow ministers, go to Keir Starmer and tell him in a kind of, uh, you know, this in the Tory party, they call this the men in grey suits, that do you want to go down in history as the man who destroyed the Labour Party? In that situation, what normally happens is a bunker is set up to protect the leader where they just stop MPs being able to talk to the leader to stop that from happening. So I suppose, will they then go public and you know, demand his resignation? Will there be resignations from the front bench? How much of an impact will that have? It will depend on a lot of factors and it will be depend on whether they feel paralysed by who the candidate should be and the mechanism to get there. I think there's a, a very significant chance that by the end of the year, Keir Starmer will not be leader of the Labour Party. Uh, I said to their team in January that they were heading um, for a leadership crisis within six to 12 months. And I think actually on that was pretty pretty accurate. Um, but I think it depends whether basically it ends up with the right changing the leadership rules and then getting rid of him uh, and putting someone even worse in. And that is a very real possibility. So I would say a big, if you're on the left, a big, big part of the strategy now is to appeal to the soft left to get them to speak out, the people who backed Keir Starmer back in 2020 to say this isn't working, you've got to stand down for the sake of the Labour Party, you're going to destroy the Labour Party if you carry on as leader. Um, and I think that argument has to be made consistently. Um, and then maybe he'll resign. If not, there needs to be some stalking horse put forward uh, in order to bring the leadership to a close. If Labour lose in Batley and Spen, it's going to be hard. But I think that's the only I think this is do or die, because I think they're going to shut down democracy and leave the Labour Party a burning skip if we don't, if the left don't get the back together.
So it's going to be very interesting days and weeks ahead for the Labour Party, which means it is a great time to be subscribed to the Navarra Media YouTube channel and the Owen Jones YouTube channel. I have to say your channel has really great Batley and Spend content at the moment. You've got that documentary on it, which we've shown clips of on the show, and you've got interviews with, with George Galloway, Kim Ledbetter and, and Andy Burnham. So lots to chew on. Um, if you want more Batley and Spen content. For now, Owen Jones, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always, having you on tonight's show. It's a pleasure, Michael. See you soon. It's been a pleasure having you watching the show tonight. Thank you for your comments and your super chat. Oh, just one last minute one. Joshua Youngman with a $4 donation, Southgate for Labour leader. He, again, if if anyone could put someone on on, on the Commons benches, Andy Burnham or, or Southgate would probably be quite high up there. Anyway, one for another show. For now, you've been watching Tisky Sour on Navarra Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navarra Media. Go to navaramedia.com slash support.